Our Father, we thank you that we can come together as a church this morning. We thank you for uh, our songs of praise that we can direct to you. And at the same time, it encourages ourselves and we receive a blessing when we offer our praises to you and our prayers. And now that we open your word, we pray that you will speak to us. Your word is living and powerful and that we also have your spirit. We pray that your word will reach our hearts and transforms, transform our lives. In the Lord Jesus' name, amen. So for the past seven weeks, we have uh, been talking about the core values that you find on the wall, the core values of this church. And I thought as a sort of bonus to that series, um, we are going to study or think about one more question before we move on to our next series, which will be on uh, the Gospel of Mark. Um, but before we do that, one more question, and the question is, why church? Now maybe we should have started with that question, but I guess we all assumed that, okay, the, the church is there for a good reason, and now let's lay out all those core values. But nevertheless, let's go back to that initial question, actually. Why, why church? I don't know how you felt this morning when you woke up. Were you excited that it was Sunday? Eager to go to church and um, to worship God and meet each other <coughs> at the church? Maybe you were hoping that you had a headache so that you had a good excuse not to come. <laughs> but since you didn't have a headache, you knew you would feel guilty if you didn't come. So that's why you're here. Or maybe you had nothing else to do. What motivates you to come to this church? And what is a local church? What does it mean to be part of a local church? And would you want that? Would you want to commit as a member to a local church? Or would you rather leave that open? Just come and go when you like. And are there conditions for membership? A lot of questions. Let's look into that. There, there was a day in the life of Paul when he fell on the ground because of light from heaven. Not struck by lightning, just light from heaven and he fell on the ground. A light that was so bright and so intense that he just fell on the ground. And each time that Paul retells that story because you find it three times in the book of Acts. Each time he retells it, the lights become stronger. So it was a light in Acts chapter 9. It was a great light in chapter 22 and it was a light brighter than the sun in chapter 26. But what really did change his life was not just that light, it was the voice that he heard from heaven. I am Jesus. It was the Son of God, risen from the dead, who spoke to him from heaven. I am Jesus. And that changed his life completely. He realized he was persecuting that name. But now he realized Jesus, the Son of God, he died for my sins. 
He rose again. He's now in heaven. He calls me and he claims me for himself. Once he realized that, he was baptized immediately. Acts chapter 9, verse 18. And then in verse 20, just two verses away, he starts to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. So we have salvation, baptism, service. That's going to be the chorus in this uh, sermon. Salvation, baptism, service. So then in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, and I'm just going through the chapters actually, the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit sends him out from Antioch together with Barnabas. We call that the first mission journey. The Holy Spirit sends them out to the work for which he had called them and they go and preach the gospel and they go from place to place they go to Cyprus and then to Antioch which is of course a different Antioch and there they are persecuted chapter 13 they move on to Iconium where they really have to run for their lives they end up in Lystra and Paul is stoned and dragged out of the city supposedly being dead but he stands up and then he goes back into the city and then he leaves for Derbe, chapter 14 and if you check that on the map it's quite interesting you see that it will make a lot of sense to from Derbe just go straight back to Antioch and recover there take a sabbatical or something or an extended holiday to recover from all this persecution what do they do? Let's read from Acts chapter 14. The book of Acts, after the Gospels, when the Lord Jesus had gone back to heaven, risen from the dead, gone back to heaven, and then the apostles spread the Gospel throughout the world, actually. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. So they are in Derbe, when they had preached the gospel, verse 21, to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So there were churches planted. They had just brought the gospel there actually, moved on. Now they're going back and there are churches planted, new and fresh, just, just born. And they go back to strengthen, to encourage, to tell them brothers, sisters, this is not going to be easy. And then they establish leadership and they pray with them with fasting. What a detour when you look on the map. What a detour. And what a risk to go back to those dangerous places where they had almost died. So Paul, tell me, why, why are you doing this? Why are you so passionate about this? 
And I'm sure Paul would say, that vision, that light, that voice, that day when I saw Jesus, when he spoke to me, I am Jesus. Okay, I, I, I understand that. But why go back? Why don't you just move on from place to place and preach? Why do you go back? And Paul would say probably just one word. Church. Because of the church. And then finally, finally they're going back to Antioch. And straight away they report to the church then. Chapter 14, 27. And then they stay in Antioch for quite a while. And then in chapter 15, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back. Verse 36, 15, 36. Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. You see his concern for the church. And off he goes, not with Barnabas this time, but with Silas. And they are strengthening the churches, it says in chapter 15, verse 41. And then they go back from Antioch, back to Derbe, if I pronounced that correctly, then to Lystra, where the people had almost killed them. They go back there, and then he picks up Timothy, a young believer, to bring him along, to equip him, to get him involved in this ministry. And then in, in Troas, Luke joins them, and God called them through a vision to come to Europe. I thank God for that, that they came to Europe, because that is where I'm from. Then they come to Philippi, a Roman colony. It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 12, it's mentioned there that Philippi was a Roman colony. So I looked that up on the internet, and I quote from uh, Wikipedia, this colony was a miniature Rome, under the municipal law of Rome, and governed by two military officers who were appointed directly from Rome. So in this colony, Philippi, in Greece, the citizens had the same rights as the cities of Italy. There was a direct link with Rome. Just keep that in mind for a while. So there was no church in Philippi when Paul came, probably not even a synagogue, because usually he would go to the synagogue and, and start from there, but you don't read that here. There was basically nothing, or almost nothing, but they thought, let's go to the riverside, because maybe we find people there who have an interest in God. And there was a woman at the riverside. There were women, and they came together for prayer. And Paul shares the gospel of Jesus with them. And Lydia responds. We can read all this in Acts chapter 16. She got saved, and those in her house as well. And then they are baptized immediately, even before there was a proper church. And then she wants to serve. She opens her house for Paul and those with him, not out of politeness, like I have to, but she really wants it, she almost pushes it. And you see that order again, salvation, baptism, service. And one day, 
when they went to that place of prayer at the riverside, I, I take it as that place at the riverside, they meet with a demon-possessed slave girl. A very sad story. I mean, the fact that she was demon-possessed. But Paul casts out the demon, sets her free, and then because of that he gets into trouble because the masters of this girl certainly see their source of income because through this demon she was a fortune teller. They suddenly see their source of income disappearing. So they get angry. They arrest Paul and Silas, drag them to the marketplace and accuse them, chapter 16, verse 20. These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Remember, Philippi was a colony. <coughs> they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So they beat up Paul and Silas, throw them into prison, and as they pray and sing at midnight, there's an earthquake. And not just a normal earthquake, but a supernatural one. For all the doors are open, and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Let's continue reading in chapter 16, verse 27. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So the jailer and his household got saved. He takes Paul and Silas in, washes their wounds, and is baptized immediately in the middle of the night. And then he serves them a meal. So again, salvation, baptism, service. And before Paul and his company leave the city, they go back to Lydia, and they see the brothers and encourage them, 16 verse 14. Probably, probably Luke stayed on in Philippi and, and maybe Timothy as well. And a church was planted somehow. And this church supported Paul and his ministry through the years. And they sent money a few times. We read that in the epistle to the Philippians, Philippians 4 verse 16. And some 10 years after his first visit, they again sent a financial gift to Paul was by now in prison. He is chained to a Roman soldier. And Epaphroditus, he carries the gift, and then he brings back a thank you letter from Paul uh, to the church in Philippi. And I suppose the letter was just read out loud in front of the church. And that is actually the epistle to the Philippians that we have in our Bible. 
maybe you want to turn there, Philippians, because we're going to read a few verses from that epistle. But just imagine that Epaphroditus comes back to Philippi, he carries the letter from Paul, and you can just imagine Lydia sitting there with a household, and, and the jailer with his family, and probably even that slave girl that is now set free, and many more who through the years were saved, they're all sitting in the church. Well, in fact, since there was no WhatsApp in those days and no Facebook, if you wanted to benefit from this letter from Paul, you had to be in that church, otherwise you wouldn't hear it. And you don't want to miss this epistle, this letter. It's really full of joy and encouragement. And I believe if you would live in Philippi in those days, there's not much left of those days, but if imagine you lived in Philippi in those days, in this colony, and you were a Christian, that means you were saved by faith in Christ, Paul would actually just assume that you were in that church. How do I know that? Well, he writes his letter, Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseer, overseers and deacons. He's not writing to those Christians that bother about joining a church. He writes to all the saints in Philippi, and he assumes that they are there in the church. What are saints? Saints are those who are set apart for God. All the saints at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So there was a church in Philippi, and all the believers in Philippi were supposed to be part of that church, to be in that church. And then there were overseers and deacons. What is an overseer, or elder, or shepherd, or pastor? These are actually all the, not the same words, but they refer to the same office. See, for example, 1 Peter 5. What is this overseer, or elder, or shepherd, or pastor supposed to do? I'll turn back, please, to Acts chapter 20, for there... Paul meets with the elders of the church in Ephesus and he says in verse 28 he's addressing those elders he says pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with the blood of his own. Capital O. That is his own son. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with the blood of his own. What is more precious than the blood of Jesus? It was this blood by which he obtained the church. And the word obtained means to reserve for oneself with deep personal interest. 
Well, that answers the question, doesn't it? Why church? Because it is God's church. It is precious to Him. Jesus died for the church. And then there are overseers, plural, not just one, only just one, more than one. And the Holy Spirit is in charge of that, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, it says. And they are to take care for the flock. So it's the picture of sheep with shepherds. Why? Because there are wolves outside and even inside the church. And there's, there's no such thing as a free roaming sheep. Have you ever seen that? Just one sheep on its own? Well, if that happens, that sheep is not going to survive when there are wolves around. Sheep are always in a flock. And even then, they usually don't manage on their own. They have shepherds. That is the idea. A sheep is never on its own. A sheep belongs to a flock, and the flock is taken care of by shepherds. They are leaders, plural, keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, says Hebrews 13. The shepherds are leaders keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So that is the picture. There's really one worldwide church. It's the body of Christ. And each time somebody puts his trust in Christ, this worldwide body grows in number. And there is one shepherd, Hebrews 13, over that worldwide flock, and that is Jesus. There's one head of the body, Colossians 1, and that is Christ. One shepherd, one head. And just as the city of Philippi was a colony of Rome, and in that sense a miniature Rome, as I pointed out earlier, a local church is a colony of Christ. And overseers, elders, take care of that church, of that local church, as under-shepherds of Christ. And then there are deacons, and the word means servant. This now we sang about being a servant. I was really encouraged by this song, the new song that we sang this now, because it sort of summarizes the sermon, and I didn't pick this song. I'm always, I have said this before, but it's always encouraging to see how the Holy Spirit leads the worship and gives this song, which is a summary of what I'm trying to say. It's beautiful that it works this way. I thank God for that. So deacons, servants, they help and support in the ministry that the elders do, often in a very practical way. So, back to Philippians. Paul writes his epistle to this church that he planted, and he writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Chapter 1, verse 1. So let's talk about ourselves, IBCBI, this, this church. Who are the deacons? Who are the overseers? Who are the saints? Who belong to this flock, to this church? Because how are shepherds supposed to know which sheep belongs here and which doesn't? 
So then we're talking about membership. And that really involves commitment. People who say, yes, I am saved, I am baptized, or I want to be baptized, and I want to serve. Salvation, baptism, service. So we're talking about membership and leadership. And these are two areas where I think there's a lot of work to be done in, in this church. And I really want to encourage you to pray for these things, membership and leadership. Pray about it. Because we are not building this church. Christ is building his church. So we pray about it. Then Paul writes to the church in Philippi in chapter 1, verse 27. Very interesting. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Chapter 1, 27. I read from the ESV and it gives a footnote there. It says, Only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. I checked that in the Greek. The word is politeo. And we have our word politics from there. And in chapter 3, verse 20, he elaborates on that. He says, For our citizenship, our politeuma, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is as if Paul is saying to the church, You know what it means to live in a colony. You live in Philippi, in Greece, but your actual government is in Rome. And your local government is directly appointed by Rome. You are Roman citizens, although you live in Greece. You are Roman citizens, and that defines your life, your rights, your circumstances. You are a colony of Rome on foreign ground. Well, says Paul, think of this. Your citizenship is now in heaven. What does it mean? Christ died for our sins. Christ died. We die with him. Our life of sin has ended. It's over. Christ rose from the dead. We rose with him. So that we might walk in newness of life. That is what baptism is all about. And you find this explained in Romans 6. You can read that for yourself. Christ died, we die with him. Christ rose, we rise with him in newness of life. We have a new passport through faith in Christ. We don't belong to this world anymore. We are now rightfully a citizen of heaven. Now, baptism doesn't give us that. We have that through faith in Christ. Baptism doesn't do anything magical. We believe in Christ. That gives us our passport, our citizenship in heaven. Baptism doesn't give you that. But we are still on earth. We are still in this world. Not from this world anymore, but still in this world. And though baptism doesn't make us ready for heaven, it does make us ready for life on earth. But now on Christian ground in a foreign world. That is what baptism is about. 
It doesn't make you ready for heaven. It makes you ready for life on earth, on Christian ground, in a foreign world. So Paul says to the Christians in Philippi, behave as citizens, citizens of heaven. And he's addressing the church here. And in that sense, a local church is a colony. Not so much to colonize the world like the Romans did, for the church has a heavenly calling. Paul calls that the upward call of God in Jesus Christ in chapter 3, verse 14. But the church is a colony in the sense that when God's children come together, they are a body, a church, a colony on foreign ground, where the authority and the rights of Christ are acknowledged. And I'll try to explain why that is important. This world that we are living, that we live in, the world as a whole has rejected and killed the Son of God. Just feel that for a while. This world has rejected and killed his own creator, the Son of God. Let us sink in. Because when you realize that, what is going to happen? Do you think God is going to sweep that under the carpet? What is going to happen now? My goodness, get out of this place. The world is a dangerous place. Is there a way out? Thank God there is. And that is pure grace. There is a way out. God offers salvation free of charge. Remember that jailer at Philippi that we read about just now? He felt it. He suddenly it what I'm talking about and he cries out what must I do to be saved and the answer is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved salvation be saved out of this world the domain of darkness be registered in the book of life Philippians 4 verse 3 become a citizen of heaven salvation then baptism God wants it to be clear for yourself for the devil who is now the God of this world and for those around you who see you still living in this world that you no longer belong to this world be baptized you died with Christ you rose in newness of life baptism and then service live grow, serve in a local church we are saved out of this world that is under God's judgment waiting for his son our savior and in the meantime you need to be and you want to be in a place where his rights and his government are acknowledged a local church and the church is not a monastery that excludes itself from, from the world, like the world is dark and now we exclude ourselves and we're sitting behind thick walls. Remember the song that we sang just now and that aligns very nicely with Philippians 2 verse 15 which I want to read. Philippians 2 verse 15 
He says, do all things without grumbling and questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. The church is not a monastery with thick walls. We are shining as a light so that others may come in as well. So that others will come to Christ, that is salvation, identify with Christ, that is baptism, and then serve Christ in a local church where the rules of heaven apply. Rules that are just opposite to what this world has to offer. It's really opposite what we find even in this epistle to the Philippians. I'm going to give you a few verses. Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Where do you find that in this world? These are the rules of heaven. Count others more significant than yourself. Chapter 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling. Chapter 3, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, think about these things. And then Paul closes his letter, chapter 4, 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then he writes to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. Though he is chained to a Roman soldier, you read that in Acts, he is still building the church through his epistles that we still read today, teaching the believers what the church means to God and what a privilege it is to be part of the church. Read it for yourselves at home, Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians, and ask yourself, what does Jesus want from me when it comes to salvation, when it comes to baptism, when it comes to commitment to this church? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have chosen the Apostle Paul, that we see in him such an example. And therefore he says, be followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. We thank you that through that we see the importance of the church, which you have obtained, Father, by the blood of your own, your own son. 
that makes it very precious. We pray that you will continue to speak these words to our hearts and help us in the days that are ahead to really pray about these things, think about these things. Where am I in regard to salvation and baptism and commitment to a local church? We pray that you will build this church, this local church, IBCBI, for your own glory. And we pray that we will shine as lights in a dark world so that others may come in, be saved, be baptized, joining in service. We pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.